this is the first point blockchain gives us, which is security and immutability. Second is the portability. So portability again comes if the person owns the information and blockchain provides us a way that you can own, you know, in a, in a decentralized way, you can be part of a network, but you can still own your information. You can save it with your private keys, secure it, and then you can share it. There's a revolution taking place right now. Talent and intelligence are equally distributed throughout the world, but opportunity is not. The talent economy, the idea that at the center of work is the talent, is the individual. Companies today face a global war for talent, and high-skilled talent is demanding flexibility around the way they work and the way they live. This podcast brings together thought leaders, staffing experts, and top freelancers to talk about the evolving nature of work and how companies can navigate these changes to remain competitive, drive innovation, and ensure success. Welcome to the Talent Economy Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Estes. Today, I'm speaking with Avek Anand, founder of Workonomics, a blockchain-anchored credential wallet that saves time, money, and enhances compliance while simplifying the user experience for all. Vivek believes a single, trusted professional identity owned by talent is fundamental to the evolving nature of work. He founded Workonomics to ease the life of all talent and accelerate the hiring process. This is Vivek Anand. I'm the founder of Workonomics. Workonomics is about universal talent identity. It's one source which gives a portable identity to people, increasing the convenience for the talent and efficiency for the organization. So our goal is how we can help people get to their next, next job faster, how we can reduce the friction for the enterprises and intermediaries. Well, I really look forward to having uh, this conversation because we're going to talk about blockchain. <laughs> and so any, any conversation that talks about how blockchain may change an industry is, I think, interesting not only to our listeners, but myself. When you started the company, what was an example of the problem that you were seeing in the hiring process that led you to, to start a company to try to fix it? Before I started Workonomics, I spent over 22 years in, in a blue chip firm. So I used to be a partner at Accenture. Before that, I worked for the HCL Perot Group, one of the largest Indian IT companies, and which had a joint venture with, with Ross Perot's organization. And you know, one thing which was always strange was that every time you wanted to put together a project team, you, wanted to, you, you had to ask everyone, okay, can you just give me you know, your, your CVs? And everybody started to you know, work on that. And that was a bit strange. So that was that was one thing. Then the other thing was, you know, a lot of people, companies sponsored a lot of trainings for people. People used to do those trainings. At the end of it, you know, there was not really a single place where they could say, oh, all my credentials, certifications, everything is here. And, you know, if I want to switch to a different organization uh, within the same uh, conglomerate or, you know, if I want to change the job, I just, you know, take everything with me all my feedbacks, all my, you know, performance ratings or whatever I want to share. And that was really a a bit strange. And then I thought, okay, you know, that's fine. Maybe people do that here three, six months in a year, every six months, maybe they have a new project sometimes every year. But, you know, then I was always very enamored with the whole concept of, you know, flex work, in-demand, on-demand economy, etc. And I said, how will it work there? You know, if somebody has to change their project or job or employer every week, every month or so, and then I stumbled upon this on-demand company here, you know, who are working not really in the high end, uh, like, uh, you know, uh, more in the blue collar space. And they told me, what are you saying every week? You know, they said, by us, most of our people on the platform, they change jobs like every two hours or every four hours. I said, okay, that's something that we need to talk about. So that's where, you know, the whole thing, the problem 
in principle, which I thought had a limited impact on people's life, you know, working for the larger corporations. The moment I stepped out and started looking at it to the other sectors within the economy, I saw, oh, this problem has much bigger impact when you look at people who are freelancing, right? Because they are changing jobs. They are working parallelly on five platforms, right? So I'm a good programmer, talented programmer, work with seven platforms. I have seven profiles. I need to maintain those seven profiles. If something changes, I need to change that. And then, of course, you know, my feedback and ratings are not shared, right? So if I did one project on one platform, the second platform will ask me again to say, okay, have you worked on this thing? Or I have to proactively submit that information. So all that is really work, which is unnecessary. And it creates a lot of idle time, right? For, for the talent, he's losing his productive time. And when you go and talk to some of the companies in the regulated sector, let's say talk to, to the banks, you know, here in Switzerland or Europe, they will tell you, yeah, just to onboard a new person takes us easily two weeks. And you say, why? You know, this person is not coming from a third country. He's coming from your city. But they said, yeah, we have a process. We need to do certain checks. And then those checks need to, be, need to go in. And then, you know, we will start with the process. So that's where I saw that, you know, it's a big problem for anyone who wants to work in a flexible way. And also it is a problem which is eating up productivity and, you know, causing bench time for companies because people just cannot start. One of the interesting things that I've noticed, you know, as I've started to work with freelancers, to your point, across a bunch of very different platforms, is the profiles are all different. It takes a lot of time on the talent side to set up a new profile, to put their work product, their training to your point, and, and a lot of that information to get work. And, and we're in some ways judging the freelancers based on the quality of the information that they, you know, they put in these platforms. What kind of response are you getting from the freelance platforms? Because I imagine that when they look at this technology, they say, well, I want to own the information, right? I want to have all of the information on the talent here in my platform and maybe giving up that ownership of the information would be challenging. You're exactly right. And I think that's what we got from many of the platforms because people believe that they own certain information or they own the talent. You know, that's the, that's the biggest fallacy, you know, in, in, in our life. <laughs> well, that's, um, it's, also, it's also how companies feel, right? Yeah, exactly. Surprisingly, when we went to the end customers, now I'm talking about, you know, a very highly regulated national public services provider and financial services provider here in Switzerland. When you talk to them, they are okay with, you know, that yes, uh, if people leave us, you know, they have right to their information and they can do anything with it, right? Uh, with the whole GDPR, privacy, etc. But to your point on platforms, I believe there is still quite a misperception that if we have these people and if we own this information and nobody has it, we will have better loyalty, etc. But I think that's not right. You know, for it, as, a, as a platform, you need to provide service to the talent by bringing that talent better, more suited opportunities when he wants or when she wants, you know, by giving him perfect purposeful, purposeful work and not just by saying, oh, I have the most rich information about you. That's why you should work with me. So, however, this is a reality. And, you know, if, if it breaks somebody's business model, you know, of course, they will not uh, uh, use the solution. So one of the things we worked on the architecture side is that we could have a common set of attributes about a profile which can be shared across. So let's say my compliance checks they are not differentiating, right? Everybody needs to have those compliance checks. And my ratings across the platforms, they are, everybody wants to have consolidated rating. But we, we, one can say that certain attributes can remain private. So for example, 
if I work through a platform and that platform is doing some very sensitive work for, for a government body or for a you know, security agency, then we can configure it that those attributes and information is not shared. But however, every platform says, yeah, if I get a comprehensive rating, everybody wins, right? So I think, yes, uh, with the enterprises, we are seeing a clear picture because they say, yes, uh, you know, uh, people can own. And there are some companies we heard who are working on employee-owned credentials. I think Workday is looking at this problem himself. On With platforms, yes, it's a mixed bag. Some platforms, you know, still believe. And that's why we're trying to find solutions that we could configure. When you reach out to HR leaders, I mean, the, the HR tech space is, a, you know, a booming space as we try to figure out how to create more agile talent and getting the right people into the organization as quickly as possible and, and creating transparency, especially on the contingent side where there has been a lack of transparency for, for many years. When, when you go to HR leaders with this sort of solution, what is their response? I think the, the, on the HR side, they really value the fact that they will get you know, verified information about the person, right? So the, that's quality, right? So they appreciate that, that, okay, if the information comes in and it is all correct, all verified, then they save time and, you know, they can improve the employer brand because then the recruiter is having the relevant discussion with the person, not asking him about, oh, can you also send me a copy of those credentials because they were not attached to your email, right? So HR leaders like it because they think, one, for them, it is a way of how the brand is perceived that, okay, I just had one profile, I sent a link, and now we are only having the relevant discussion. And on the second side, yes, I think where we are not there today, once we you know build up a significant amount of pool, then also it will give them a very rich source of talent to source from. So I would say it is positive. Yes, on some of the challenges we face from HR is, you know, sometimes they say, oh, you know, if we start to put in these kind of, you know, uh, verification requests or verification kind of barriers, does that mean that less people will apply on our job? So I think there are those inhibitions which say, oh, we need so many people in data science that we don't want to stop, any, stop anyone. But then you ask them, you know, okay, so what are you going to do if, you know, if certain things are not there on day one? And you would have spent all this time screening the person and then finding out, oh, by the way, this person does not have you know, a relevant right to work, to work in the city. Huh? So these things can happen. Take me through an example of a company that was working without workonomics. And then how much time and cost are we actually talking about saving? There are two examples, but let me first explain our, our model. So our model has two levers. You know, the first lever is that because the profile and the data is owned by the talent, it is portable across many employers, many platforms, right? So that is the one-to-many lever, which means once the profile is verified, once certain things are consolidated, then the talent can very easily make it available to all. They do not have to recheck certain things, you know? So for example, if I leave one bank and go to the second bank, normally the regulator or compliance lead will, vetting head will require that I get verified again. So that cost goes away, right? So we believe we can bring down the cost of you know, verification to a third or to a half you know, to start with because we can easily have you know, two to three employers paying for that information instead of one. This is one thing. And the second, this is the main effect, right, which, which, is, which is really uh, uh, the network effect because of portability. And the second thing, which is, I would say, a bit lesser, provides lesser savings and, and time is that the whole process gets digitized. So as I said, 
if we move from one to the other sector, all we need to do is to configure a bunch of APIs to import those, those sort of information. And as soon as the person and the employer authorize and say, okay, yes, you know, uh, you can source this information for me, we can bring that in. So that's a digitization lever, which I would say is not totally new, but it has not been available in a very configurable way till now. What is really, I think, groundbreaking is, is this network effect, which means that you have a pool of verified talent and the cost of verification and maintaining that data and doing everything gets shared across different employers. We've seen this model a number of times, especially in healthcare, right? As healthcare is being digitized and, and people are being given access to their own health information as they go to different providers and services. And it's interesting that it's taken so long to get that into the talent space. There's a lot of friction in the hiring process, to your point, that's not really focused on making sure the right person can start tomorrow to start providing value. Let's talk a little bit about technology. Can you explain to those that that may not fully understand blockchain just quickly, what is blockchain and, and how did you decide this technology would be an anchor service for the offering you have? So as I said, so the main principle proposition of our offering is portability, right? That if it is portable, then the benefits are shared, the costs are shared, and it's very, very fast, right? Now, to make that profile portable, you have to give the ownership to the talent, right? Because if one party owns it, one company owns it, then you know you need to strike deals between every company in the world to say, okay, can we share the profile? So the talent owns it. That was clear to us that the person has to own it. Then we said, okay, now somebody came in and you know some companies paid for his verification or the platform or repaid for the verification. And then the next day the person goes in, you know, and he changes some information. And how will we know, right? Because at the end, we are living in a distributed decentral world. So these are the two objectives in which we started looking very carefully at blockchain. One, can we secure the information? So once something is marked as verified, can we make it immutable? And second, can we really give the ownership to the talent so that it is fully portable? And you know, not saying that, okay, it is, it is owned by employer X, and when you go to employer Y, then you need to ask your permission, etc. So that we didn't want. So blockchain here provides us both these uh, capabilities. So as you know, it's a, first of all, it's, an, it's a decentral immutable ledger, which means that if the platform, if our platform will verify somebody's information saying, okay, this person has you know, got a clear crimp, crimp check as of this date, then that transaction is written on the blockchain that Mr. X has been verified as a clear on this date, right? And then... This person can move on, he can change things, but this information, this, this reference to blockchain always remains. So that provides us the security for the data and also the longevity in terms of auditability in future. Five years later, you know, there can be in a bank an audit, okay, you hired this person, show us all the checks were done. And then our system allows you to you know, basically go and look at all those entries on the ledger to say, okay, yes, on these, these dates, these checks were done. So this is the first point blockchain gives us, which is security and immutability. Second is the portability. So portability, again, comes if the, per- if the person owns the information. And blockchain provides us a way that you can own, you know, in a, in a decentral way, you can be part of a network, but you can still own your information uh, with your, you can, you know, save it with your private keys, secure it, and then you can share it. Uh, while others can see, they, you know, you, you can still own in a pure sense. So those are the two characteristics which we got from, from blockchain and that's why we went, went ahead for blockchain. 
on the other hand, as I said, for you know the whole architecture of configurability, etc., there we use the regular platform technologies which are available. How do I think of workonomics and the technology as it relates to the old traditional resume? I, I'm, I'm trying to, in my mind, picture how this identity that I have that now contains a lot of information that wouldn't traditionally be on my resume, it's more part of a hiring process and verification process, melds with my CV or my resume. We think that, you know, resume has its space in terms of communicating your your purpose, your wish, your vision, what you want to do and you know, your motivation to the company. So that will remain. That can be also your LinkedIn profile, you know, which, which shows you what kind of social stuff you've done, who's in your network. So all that will remain. However, there is this, you know, pain point of how to ver- verify and validate some of that information, plus some additional compliance related information. Like I talked about, if you work for a financial services, you need to get your bad debt checks done. You need to get some anti-corruption things done. You may have, you know, company ownership requirements to see if you have any interest with any, any, any conflicting players, if you're working for a startup, for example. So all these things are not part of your CV and, you know, you don't want to talk about them. But the employer just wants to know whether it is all clear, right? So that's the part we want, part we want to address because unfortunately, that is the part which is an unsolved pain for the recruiter, for the compliance officer. It's a need for compliance officer and for the talent. And at, least, at the end, it costs everyone time and money. You see the articles across the web where someone's talking yeah, about... Yeah, Harvard degree or something, right? <laughs> Harvard degree or some experience that they have. And I, I remember when I first started in tech... We used to have to send our proof of education, right? You'd have to go to the school and, and get the documents and stuff. And so as you were talking about the information that I would put on my personal blockchain or, or verified account, it'd just be easy to put it all in one spot and say, look, here, I am who I say I am, and, and these are the credentials I have. We're in the middle of an unprecedented time right now as, as it relates to how companies are, are thinking about the future of, of how they work and, and how they respond and become more resilient in the future. We've always said that the future is a little uncertain and, and things are changing faster than ever, but you just look at the past four months and, and that has proved to be well beyond anything we ever imagined. When I look at this technology, how do you think workonomics will help people as they start looking to be rehired or, or if people are losing opportunities and, and you know, wanting to get back in, into the workforce? The whole rehiring process, you know, one has to look at it. So what's happening today? You know, companies are furloughing people that they think are good for their business, that they have the right skills because just say, they just say, look, for the next three, four months, I don't know, we want to follow you so that, and then we'll call you back. For example, that's, that's one example, right? Now, during that time, even as a freelancer or even as an employee, I'm allowed to do any intermediate jobs, right? That's what the regulation says. So I could go and, you know, work. Let's say I can go and work, uh, help help a hospital do, you know, rig up their systems because, you know, they right now they have too much demand or I can build, you know, something with the, with the test facility or I just... I, I'm a low-income, uh, you know, group worker, and I start just start to do food delivery in the evening, right, or grocery delivery because people need it. And where do you capture all that? Nowhere, you know, because the thing will be if I furlough someone, yes, that person still is on my system. 
Then after four or five months, you know, I want that person back and maybe I will give him a lot of forms. He will have to declare many things. Okay, what he did in these four months, he did not work for any sensitive information related competitors, X, Y, and Z, right? And we think if at this time, this person would have like a workonomics type identity, a portable identity, where he just says, okay, I did some deliveries in between. I had the hospital. I actually did a gig on a freelance platform. And that gig was for not, not in the same industry, something else. And here is the proof. I think it will be very, very easy for, for the company to say, okay, you know, everything is good. Please come back. The other side is purely compliance. So that again is if you go into highly regulated businesses, they might ask, okay, rehiring means you need to renew some of your compliance checks. Again, this, which can be done, you know, immediately with our approach. So that's why we believe that in, in the rehiring process, there will be many cases where you'll we'll, we'll be hiring the same skills or same people, but you may have to vet them again. And that's exactly where we can accelerate the process and you know, help, help people to link, link back with the same or with different employees. It's amazing to me how many times in, in my career when I was hiring somebody that I, I would look at their resume and then we'd have a conversation and a lot of the skills, the amazing skills that they had just weren't on the resume right? They were maybe a part of a side hustle or, or something else in their career, but they were trying to show linear progression, a very structured career. And so they didn't feel that they wanted to add this additional thing to their resume because it might be seen as not structured in a way. And, and the idea that you could get an end-to-end picture of somebody's work that look could be tangential to what job they're applying for, but actually from a diversity perspective, might be an amazing addition to the project or, or to the company. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a remarkable observation. And I, I would say that goes back to the, to the whole perception of what a skill profile is, what a resume is, you know, which is very, very old. So as you rightly said, people have to hide such an information, which information may be interesting for certain progressive employers. So we believe where it has to go. So right now, as I said, we are an early stage company. We are somewhere, we are, we are trying to fix, you know, an immediate pain, where, which is about, you know, compliance, getting the facts right, removing friction. However, if you imagine that this is the store, this is your single store where you can get any references from other people, where you can enter anything. And you can just classify and say, okay, here I have my you know, work experience and here I have my side gigs and everything is like, you know, in one wallet, it's kind of verified and, you know, it's, it's proven. I think on that, that can be a very rich source of data to run any type of analytics on, right? So some of the discussions we've had is where we are not there yet, where is about, okay, if this really works, then this can be the master data source, right? I mean, where should be the employee master data? Yes, you need to have it somewhere for your payroll and somewhere for your compliance. But at the end, the richest source of master data should be with the employee. And if if we can give that power to the employee, to the to the talent, then it's in his interest to keep that comprehensive, updated, everything else, right? Because then he knows everybody's looking at it. It's interesting when you look at captive employment because the the system is built as if you're going to stay at the same job for 40 years or 30 years. That has never been the case. Like you, you look at the Department of Labor information, it's more the exception than the than the rule that people will stay at employers for long periods of time. And, and the resume and the information is created for a world that just doesn't exist today. I think resume, for me, resume, I mean, you know, I didn't change a lot of jobs in my life, but 
I never had to make a resume because either you find the job, you know, through your network or by chance, you know, that meet someone. I think resume is an instrument to make a first impression, right? That was the thing that, okay, I'm looking for a job. I need to send something out to 10 headhunters and, you know, five, I want to apply at five places. There's no point talking to them. First send a resume, which is good. Now, the fallback of that is that, okay, you have to do it 10 times and all 10 of them might get different information. And if three of them come back, it's a very clumsy process. Today, if you look at LinkedIn, like it's such a powerful tool that you can easily connect to people. And even if people have very brief, uh, you know, profile summaries there, you can learn a lot about this person, right? What, what type of network he has, what type of conferences he went to, etc. So that gives you a good social image of a person. Then the next thing you need is, okay, some of that needs to really be true. And how do I check that? And I think that's the gap we try to fill. Uh, so if you have these two things working, maybe you don't need uh, you don't need a resume anymore. You have a you send your LinkedIn connection and you send a Workonomics link, and then they can issue a contract uh, which you can sign on Workonomics. Itself. The, the more you kept mentioning resume, I just go back to my first job. I remember putting it in an envelope. I remember being at my parents' house, putting it in envelopes and getting my first job because I mailed in my resume, uh, which says, I guess, a little bit about my age. This is my favorite part of this show. It's called the rapid fire section. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions and I ask that you just say the first thing that comes to mind. You ready? I'm ready. (laughs) What's one thing about you that's not on your LinkedIn profile? Uh, Well, I play guitars sometimes. I wonder if that would be in your workonomics profile. See, that's the perfect example of... (laughs) No, that's actually not even verified. So I'm still a tablet. (laughs) There you go. If you could trade lives with anyone for one day, who would it be and why? I would say maybe Mahatma Gandhi, just because with sheer sense of purpose and, you know, associating with people, he could really make a big, such a big change to our country and to the world. What book or movie has inspired you the most over the past year? It's a not so well-known uh, Bollywood movie where someone um, goes to China and in, from India and then tries to you know, make a new product which nobody has thought of and somehow he sells it. What is one word that you would use to describe the next decade of work? Purpose. Vivek, thank you so much for taking the time to, to talk with me today. If somebody wants to learn more about Workonomics or, or get in touch with you, what's the best way to reach out? Well, they can just uh, send me an email, uh, vivek.anand at workonomics.com, and I'll be happy to reply or just contact at workonomics.com, whatever they prefer. There we go. We'll put all that information in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. It was great. I'm your host, Paul Estes. Thank you for listening to the Talent Economy Podcast. Learn more about the future of work and the transformation of the staffing industry from those leading the conversation at staffing.com, where you can hear from experts, sign up for our weekly newsletter, and get access to the best industry research on the future of staffing. If you've enjoyed the conversation, we'd appreciate you rating us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or just tell a friend about the show. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of The Talent Economy. 